Welcome to Rights Up Right Now, a mini episode of the Rights Up podcast from the Oxford Human Rights Hub. I'm Kira Allman, and today I'm talking to James Lynch, the Deputy Director of the Global Issues Program at Amnesty International, about the death penalty in the Middle East and North Africa. It's been six years since the so-called Arab Spring, the wave of protests, uprisings, and revolutions that swept the Middle East and North Africa in 2011. In the aftermath of the Arab Spring, death sentences and executions increased in the region. January 25th marked the sixth anniversary of the Egyptian revolution that toppled President Hosni Mubarak, and since then, hundreds of people in Egypt have been sentenced to death in mass trials. So I'm here with James to discuss the notable increase in the application of the death penalty since 2011 in the region as a whole. One quick note before we get started. You'll hear both me and James refer to the Middle East and North Africa throughout the interview by the acronym MENA, M-E-N-A. Okay, now you know what you're hearing and what we mean when we say MENA, so we can get started. Thank you so much for joining me, James. Uh, Thank you. Could you give us an overview of the current status of the death penalty in the Middle East and North Africa? Yes, I mean, when you look at the, the MENA countries tend, have tended in recent years to feature quite highly on our sort of annual statistics reports, unfortunately, um, you know, particularly um, the, the, the states which are, tend to be quite high up are Iran um, and Saudi Arabia, Iraq also, and in recent years, we've also seen a sort of spike in, in death penalty sentences. You know, there have also been some executions in Egypt as well. And uh, I think it's worth saying that although the numbers are, are, are very high in certain states, actually, um, you know, of the 21 or so Arab League members, only around 9 or 10 in 2015 carried out executions. I'm referring to 2015 because we haven't finalized our 2016 figures. But certainly what we see is, um, you know, that Saudi Arabia and Iran, you know, have been perhaps the, the, the two most prominent, um, users of, of the death penalty in recent years. And we've, we, we have seen those numbers go up, you know, and, and in particularly in the last two or three years, something of a surge. And the reasons for that are not always clear. Um, what we can say is that the use, the application of the death penalty in, in those contexts is absolutely characterized by unfair trials, um, by the use of torture, by it's extremely opaque, information is limited, and, you know, this is um, something that we, you know, we have very significant bodies of work on both countries for that reason. How does MENA compare to the rest of the world in terms of the use of the death penalty? Well, China is, is the biggest user of the death penalty. Um, and has been for many years. We don't actually publish any figures for China because the numbers, uh, because of the, the, the level of secrecy of the Chinese. Obviously, it's an, the use of the death penalty in China is a, an official state secret. Um, and so in, in, a, in an attempt, in an attempt to challenge the Chinese state, um, on its use of the death penalty and the fact that it refuses to publish transparent data, we have stopped publishing data. What we, you know, our, our assessment is that China executes more people every year than the rest of the world put together. One of the things that's, you know, we, we, we take from that is clearly there is, there is nothing inherent to the Middle East about the, about, um, 
about the death penalty. And in fact, within the Middle East, there are several states who don't execute or haven't executed for, for many years. You know, it is in fact Saudi Arabia, Iraq, Iran, Egypt, and, and some other, and, and, and perhaps some other states who are, they are the outliers even within the Middle East and North Africa region. I think that's important, uh, important to, to sort of, in a way, put that in context. It seems like there's been a distinct spike in death sentences and executions in the region in the aftermath of the Arab Spring in 2011. Some countries, like Tunisia, are abolitionist in practice, but others, as you mentioned, like Egypt, have seen an increase in death sentences. So what's going on there? So so what you've seen, it, it can be very, very difficult to identify the sort of linkage between regional political developments and specific you know, death sentences or, or executions. And in, and in Saudi Arabia and Iran, you know, a very significant chunk of those people sentenced and executed are for drug-related offences. They, they don't appear, uh, at least on the face of it, to be linked to um, political uprisings. They are often, in, in the case of Saudi Arabia, it's, it's about half of those executed every year are foreign nationals. Um, in, in Iran, you know, often there are foreign nationals, people from minority groups, poor communities... In, in other contexts, of course, Egypt, it is much clearer, and certainly in the case of the, the mass um, death sentences that have been handed out in, in recent years, this is, these are political security cases. In Iraq, it is, it is again very clear a significant proportion are for uh, suspected of terrorist offences, and this is seen as a, a response to people involved in armed groups, um, such as sort of the, the so-called Islamic State. I think certainly, in, you know, if you look at someone like Saudi Arabia, what you have seen is, as of 2013 onwards, you have seen a sustained crackdown on both human rights defenders, on, on dissent, on journalists, but also increasingly on the Shia population in the east, um, in the eastern province, where you know where there is there is a political grievances, and and many of and, and several of those people sentenced. Um, and indeed um, executed, have been from the Shia eastern province. How does, exactly does this relate? It is, it, is, it is really difficult to draw the line, you know, but I think what you can say with some certainty is that this is a state, if you look at the way that these that, that, that executions are framed in public narrative, it's about um, ensuring stability, ensuring security, and I think that there is, a, a, there is likely to be a degree um, of the application of the death penalty in Saudi Arabia, which is about showing that the state is in control, despite the instability in the region, the economic instability that is that is taking place, you know, the, the fact that Saudi Arabia is involved in a major conflict. And you can see potential political motivations, you know, for in, in, in sometimes in specific cases. Right. So Saudi Arabia is involved in military operations in Yemen, which you alluded to there. But Saudi Arabia also intervened in Bahrain during the uprising there, and sectarian tensions have run high since that intervention. So the targeting of the Shia population that you spoke about seems relevant in light of these events. And Bahrain actually just resumed executions in 2017 after a fairly long hiatus. So it's, of course, difficult to draw a clear line of causation there, like you say, but a state narrative of national security in the post-Arab Spring environment seems to me to be connected in some way to these developments. Definitely, and, and I think, you know, what was 
you know, incredibly disturbing about the recent executions in Bahrain, you know, the first for, for a long time, was indeed the fact that it immediately stirred up sectarian tensions, um, and these things have a reach, you know, beyond their immediate context. Again, it's not clear precisely what the objective of the Bahraini authorities is of, 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 of you know, implementing those executions, which they did very, very quickly, presumably to prevent, you know, a major international outcry, to prevent them being sort of subjected to diplomatic pressure by, by sort of international allies. Um, you know, was, was that about sending a message to the Shia community in Bahrain that they were in full control, you know, that, that actually um, the gloves are off? Uh, was it about sending a message to Saudi Arabia that, you know, we are, we are with you, you know, um, in, in the regional conflict with Iran and, and, you know, in the various proxy conflicts that are taking place? You know, certainly one can look at the, 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 this also in the context where, apart, aside from the death penalty, you are seeing people in Gulf states being imprisoned on the basis of tweets which criticize Saudi Arabia, you know, for the conduct of the war in Yemen, for example, or, or criticizing the Saudi king. So there is, seems to be some desire on, the, on behalf of some Gulf states to show Saudi Arabia that, you know, this is, they are all together. You know, and that's obviously human beings paying the price for that. Okay, so let's return to Egypt. In the aftermath of the Arab Spring, there's been a notable increase in death sentences there. In fact, former President Mohamed Morsi was sentenced to death at trial after he was removed from office by the military. Even though that sentence was subsequently overturned, what does this tell us about the death penalty in Egypt? Yeah, I mean, you know, the, the, obviously there were death penalty sentences um, under Mubarak in criminal trials, um, such as for rape cases, for example. Um, but until um, President Sisi took power, there weren't cases of these sort of epic mass death sentence trials. Certainly, these have the ring of being, you know, politicized um, trials uh, premised around sort of, you know, political issues and, and, and then linked in with sort of national security concerns, what is expressed as national security concerns. I and mean, you've seen over the past couple of years, military trials also st are starting to hand down sentences. Um, and that's where it is military trials is where you see the greatest risk of implementation um, of, of actually executions then taking place. Um, and we saw six people last year um, in 2015 executed in, in, after having their sentence imposed by a military trial. What we don't know is, you know, precisely the scale of executions in Egypt. It is, it is a, a, another challenging context to get precise data. I mean, and this is, this is common to the region and common, for, in fact, to most retentionist countries. But we, we have more of a sense when it comes to political and high security trials of, of what is happening. And what about some of these sentences being overturned? I think what I would say about Egypt is that one is slightly, you know, interesting development, um, and that's obviously something we're watching. Is that many of the mass death sentences, as, as you've said, um, have been overturned by the, at the Court of Cassation, sort of the highest, highest court. Now, you know, how do we explain that? You know, that that court has a margin of independence. Uh, you know, is one way of looking at it. Um, you know, and historically, it's been it's been more bold than the court of first instance looking at standards of fair trial and whether evidence has actually been obtained under some kind of duress. And you know, it, so there's a sort of more a greater degree of professionalism. That said, I think it's it's also probably the case that that that, that the system as a whole. Um, has seen perhaps the value of not in necessarily implementing all of these very high-profile um, death sentences. 
internationally, Egypt has faced incredibly strong criticism. And, and, and this is something, again, we see, you know, in, in, in several states in MENA that there are death sentences are often imposed but not implemented or, or there's a long delay. And so there is, a, in many countries, a sensitivity to the international criticism that comes from carrying out executions. I think the elephant in the room when you're talking about the death penalty in the Middle East and North Africa is the issue of Sharia law. There's a prevailing assumption that Sharia law is used to justify the retention of the death penalty. But what is the relationship between Sharia and the death penalty? Is there a connection there? Yeah, I mean, and, and, and I guess I would highlight here, there's been some very interesting work done on Sharia law um, and the death penalty by Penal Reform International. I don't know if, if that's something you've, you've seen, um, but they've done a, a really interesting analysis of the degree to which the death penalty is supported or mandated by Sharia law. I suppose the, the key question that the, the paper attempts to answer is, is Sharia law a, an impediment, a, a sort of impassable hurdle to abolition? And the conclusion is effectively no. <laughs> um, and, and I think, you know, the, the, the wider context here is, you know, there are multiple countries within the organization of Islamic, uh, the OIC, of Islamic Cooperation, who have abolished the death penalty. Uh, and that includes, you know, for example, obviously Albania, Azerbaijan, um, Turkey, Turkmenistan, Kazakhstan, you know, many, many more. And there are others who are sort of on their journey towards abolition, um, you know, some countries like Guinea, Niger, Burkina Faso, important steps that are, that are on the way. There is a danger, I think, internationally, perception-wise, of associating somehow Sharia with, with, with the death penalty and saying, well, that's, it, it can't be done. Where, is there a consensus internationally that, you know, among Sharia scholars that, that the death penalty is, is mandatory? I, I don't believe that there is. It's more the case, I would say, the religious argument is often used as a sort of justification. Um, it is a, you know, used as a way of saying, well, this is somehow in our custom and practice that we, you, you can't challenge us on this. And when you look at, for example, you know, responses to UN committees that, that, that retentionist states in the Middle East use, that would often be one they bring out. I would say there's a huge diversity of practice, you know, even when states uh, sort of make the point that Sharia law is, is, is sort of underpins their use of the death penalty. There's, there's huge diversity of practice. And, and that, in a sense, you know, illustrates the point that there is no clarity and consensus on what Sharia law mandates or provides for. I think, you know, it's also worth saying there's nothing sort of inherently Islamic about the death penalty, you know, um, and that, that again sh sort of should be obvious when we, but when we reflect on it, but because of the sort of where the current statistics lie, uh, it often gives us that, you know, where, where a lot of Middle East countries, South Asian countries can be quite high in the figures, it's given rise to that perception. But, you know, Britain used to have over 200 crimes that were, you know, that where the death penalty could be applied and thousands of people were executed. So what we see in the region is, is probably the, the sort of politicized use of Sharia as a, as a defense as a justification. I think that the degree to which it actually influences the application of law is very varying. So it is, it is a mixed picture. It can be challenging for, you know, the international organizations to engage on that issue. Um, I think that the, the, the work by Penal Reform International to, you know, really look in depth at whether Sharia 
really provides a barrier, I think is extremely valuable. And I think that's something, those conversations clearly need to happen. Uh, and, and, you know, abolitionists within the Middle East region need to be, you know, uh, assisted with sort of tools to have those conversations. So what is an abolition movement going to look like in the Middle East going forward? There's certainly, there's activism. And, you know, and, and again, that's, that's somewhat patchy, um, in the sense that it, it's, uh, it, it differs from country to country. You know, in Iran, there's, there's a relatively strong abolitionist movement, largely, um, in exile, of course. Um, but, but there is, you know, very, you know, impressive documentation and campaigning, um, on the death penalty in Iran. In the rest of the region, you know, of course, it differs from country to country. Um, I think it, it is worth saying that human rights activism per se and work on legal reform, you know, touching these kinds of issues um, is under threat, you know, and, and it goes way beyond the death penalty. So in Saudi Arabia, human rights activists and human rights lawyers have been relentlessly targeted and are you know, mostly either in exile, serving lengthy sentences or, um, you know, on some kind of travel ban and sort of silenced, you know, under, under threat of arrest. And Egypt, again, civil society has been under a sort of an onslaught for several years now. So in that context, you know, there's also a huge um, plethora of other human rights violations taking place. So these are difficult choices that, that, that an embattled um, human rights community um, has to make. That said, I think what you have seen, you know, that the, the sort of experience of North Africa perhaps does point the way, you know, to, that, that it is possible to make the case for, you know, for moratoriums and, and for re review and revision of laws. And I think, you know, what we need to do in MENA is also make the case for these, you know, it's, it can be challenging for Amnesty International to, to do this, but this what we do is to say, is in certain situations, we will say, look, we will keep on calling you calling on you to impose a moratorium with a view to abolition. But in the meantime, you, you know, we, we have to see, you know, proper application of international law and standards. You know, so, so I think that's, you know, in, in some context, that, that has to be the first step on the way towards, you know, moratorium and abolition. Okay, well, thank you, James, for telling us a great deal about the death penalty in the Middle East for this episode. Oh, I appreciate the focus on it. Thanks a lot. Rights Up Right Now is a podcast from the Oxford Human Rights Hub. Subscribe or follow us on iTunes, the Oxford Podcasting Service, or SoundCloud.